The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello there. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. And each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you with information that you need to hear about regarding health care so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and make the decisions that you need to make to take care of yourselves. Um, I have been corrected by some of my friends when I say that this show talks about the issues <clears throat> that doctors talk about in doctors' lounges all across the country because, sadly, Doctors are not talking about these issues anymore because they're afraid to talk about things because of our cancel culture, which is going to be the topic of today's show. But we try to be radio-free America, the voice of America for healthcare issues. And uh, we are determined to try to get this information out to you so that you'll be armed with this information and be able to stand up against those who are trying to bully you or who are trying to um, suppress the things that you are saying or thinking about. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only healthcare think tank in the country. And um, I urge everyone every week to um, contribute generously so that we can continue to do this show and the work that we do around the country. And I want to acknowledge publicly one giant contribution that we received over the holiday um, uh period for five figures, and I'm hopeful that our organization has sent thank yous to this individual who um, uh, I, I, will n I don't want to publicly um, embarrass um, or, or uh, uh, to reveal because I'm not sure that this, this individual wants to be revealed, but we deeply, deeply appreciate that, and we're hoping that the people who listen to this podcast will feel equally generous and uh, help us um, financially and go to our website and contribute generously. That would be www.d, the number four, pcfoundation.org. That's d for pcfoundation.org. Um, let me open up the show first by um, wishing everyone a very happy new year. This is my first show in the new year, 2022. Gosh, I think that was like Jetson's uh, uh, um, era kind of numbers when, when that show first appeared in the 1960s. That in 2022, I'm uh, uh, we're here and uh, and hopefully this will hopefully everybody had a wonderful holiday season and hopefully 2022 will be a better year than 2021 but unfortunately we're sick our country is sick we are infected with a cancer that is spreading and that cancer is leftism. 
leftism is the single worst force in the history of this planet. Leftism is responsible for more deaths under communism than any other force in the history of the planet. And the people who are acknowledged leftists are trying to change the best social experiment ever in the history of the world and remake it into something very different and very toxic. And um, it permeates every single aspect of what we're talking about right now. It's wokeism. It's the cancel culture. It's all wrapped up into the same ball of garbage and it is spreading and it is spreading quickly and it is dangerous and if we don't recognize it and call it out for what it is and if we don't fight back then we can pretty much kiss the America that we know goodbye because it will cease to exist and um, and so how does that tie into what uh, you uh, um, may have seen promoted as the topic for the show today, which is about race and health care? Well, it's all one and the same. It's this woke crowd. It is wokeism that is destroying our country. And people are finally starting to wake up they're starting to see that this is a problem prominent people are speaking up when you have people like bill maher who i don't agree with on almost anything but he has been a tremendous voice fighting back against this wokeism against this cancel culture then we know we have a real problem. When you have Alan Dershowitz, who is probably one of the most liberal people, who is speaking out against what's happening, and he's been disavowed by the, quote, team that he always played on because he is too far to the right, we have a problem. When you have comedians who are saying that the their their craft is dead it's it's over because they can't perform stand up comedy anymore because unless you have your own platform your own sponsorship like Dave Chappelle who has a subscription service and does not rely on commercial sponsors but those comedians or stand up comedians who do um cannot tell jokes anymore because if they do they're going to offend somebody that's what comedy is all about it's about recognizing flaws in ourselves and laughing about them but but discussing uncomfortable issues and that's no longer possible because the woke crowd is not going to tolerate it they are going to destroy you and they're going to get their um, the the commercial um, companies, the the industries um, who are afraid of them, 
to to um, get on their bandwagon. And it's time that we fought back. And this show is about health care, and it has crept into health care in many ways, shapes, and forms, and we need to call it out where it exists and stop this because it is going to not only be um, uh, a, a, uh, a path that we cannot walk back on, but it's going to hurt people. It's going to be a, a problem when it gets into health care because health care should be agnostic to any of the wokeism that is infecting the rest of our world. Healthcare is is important for everyone, but we've got people now who are uh, trying to control what people say and what they think and how they act in healthcare in a very, very dangerous way. I'm going to open the show first by venturing into an area that I told you that I would not be talking about anymore, which is COVID. Um, I um, have been uh, slandered and hurt. Myself and my um, co-host Scott Barber have been targeted by the woke crowd because we dared to question information that is being fed to the public during this pandemic. We... um, uh have have uh in fact let me let me just digress there there's an online um uh or a web-based platform for doctors called Medscape and um some people may have accessed it when they do medical searches but it's it's a subscription service for doctors and they recently came out just the other day with a uh, poll. Um, it was re- not really a, a true poll, but it was an open debate, an open question about whether doctors should lose their licenses for um, spreading, quote, disinformation or misinformation. And as you might imagine, this sparked very divergent opinions about what should happen. There were the doctors like myself who said unquestionably that doctors should be able to voice their opinion about medical issues that they disagree with. And yet there are others, and I suspect these others are part of that young, um, hip, woke crowd who view disinformation as dangerous to society and want these doctors' licenses taken away, and hell yes, they should lose their licenses. And one of the common themes in this online um, uh, debate was who gets to decide what misinformation is or disinformation is? And in science and in healthcare, what is quote, settled science one day is no longer applicable the next day. I um, I consider myself a scientist. I have, to my credit, over 100 peer review articles in the medical literature. I've reported on things that I've done 
medically, and that was um, settled science. But you learn different ways of doing things, or you the things that you're doing may not work all always, and you might look at a different way of doing it, and it's no longer settled science. Now, it's still in the literature, the way that you did it before. You don't revoke it. You do not... You do not um, do a uh, – uh, most of the time there, there are no uh, articles that take back the things that you've said. Instead, you move on and you report new things or better things or better ways. And that's how medicine is. That's what doing um, – that's what being a, a, uh, a medical scientist is all about. That's what um, – Science is. It's about um, trying things, questioning things, getting the best way to do it, recognizing that there might even be better ways of doing things, and that's that's how we've progressed in in medicine. But Dr. Barber and I were labeled dangerous, and there were many who called for our medical licenses to be taken taken away because we were spreading misinformation or disinformation. And it turns out that in three major areas that we've talked about, we've been right about this. So the people who have told, who've, who've labeled us as spreading misinformation or disinformation are categorically wrong. And those people should be taken out and flogged um, publicly and lose their ability to spread their misinformation. Specifically, what I'm talking about, and I'll just briefly talk about this before I get into the meat of what I really wanted to talk about today, which is um, uh, a another third rail issue regarding race and healthcare. But with regard to COVID, um, I've been labeled spreading disinformation about ivermectin. Well, wouldn't you know it? Um, if you want to be a real scientist, if you really want to be honest and not be a demagogue, not be someone who is um, just uh, disavowing real medical information, but rather in, involved, interested more in politics, then I urge people to read the. Um, January 2021 issue of the peer-reviewed journal from pulmonary medicine called CHEST. It's one of their major publications, pages 85 to 92. There's a study entitled, quote, the use of ivermectin is associated with lower mortality in hospitalized patients with coronavirus disease 2019 colon, the ivermectin in COVID-19 study, end quote. So let me explain how a real study is conducted. This was a retrospective study, and a lot of people have problems with retrospective study. That means looking back at what you've done. What the gold standard is, is a um, prospective, that means going forward, randomized that means you blind who gets to get which treatment, um, uh, uh, clinical trial. 
but this was a retrospective study that looked back at patients and they matched those patients. So they looked at patients who got ivermectin and those who didn't receive ivermectin when they were in the hospital, trying to control for other things that might have attributed to the difference that they found, which was lower death rates in the ivermectin group. Now, the study was done between three medical centers, Broward Healthcare Medical Center in Fort Lauderdale, Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, and Florida International uh, University in Miami. In their study, they had 280 patients. 173 were in the ivermectin group. 107 were not on ivermectin. Most patients in both groups also received hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, or both. And the charts of consecutive patients confirmed with COVID-19 were reviewed. So the goal of the study was to assess the hospital mortality. Did people die in the hospital? Now, there were secondary goals, which were to assess the outcomes in patients with severe lung involvement. They wanted to assess whether or not they were able to get the the um, the breathing tube, the the endotracheal tubes out of people and how long they stayed in the hospital. So what were their results? Well, they found that there was lower mortality in the ivermectin group. It was 15% versus 25% in those who didn't receive it, and that was clinically significant, and that's an important distinction because when we do studies, we have to have a certain power to the study so that we can rely on the outcome and claim that the results are clinically significant. And in this case, it was. They also found lower mortality in the patients with severe pulmonary lung involvement, 38% mortality in the ivermectin group versus 80% mortality in the severe pulmonary group, the ones who didn't receive ivermectin. These are in U.S. hospitals in this country. But there was no significant difference in the extubation rate, although it was trending positive that that uh, they were able to get the tube out in 36% of those people on ivermectin versus just 15% of those who did not receive it. And there was no difference in their length of hospital stay. What did they control for? Well, they controlled for age, sex, race, ethnicity, and other comorbidities, diabetes, cardiac disease, pulmonary disease, obesity, kidney disease, cancer, hypertension, neurologic problems, HIV, thyroid disease, and and BMI. Um, So what... What this study um, concluded was that what we have been saying and calling disinformation, which appears in a peer-reviewed journal article with power and significance, shows that ivermectin made a difference. So I don't think what we were saying was disinformation. Let's talk about vaccines. Two days ago, 
the Pfizer CEO, Albert Borla, gave an interview on CNN, and he sees danger ahead. He said, quote, the hope is that we will achieve something that will have way better protection, particularly against infections, because the protection against the hospitalizations and the severe disease, it is reasonable right now with current vaccines as long as you are having, let's say, a third dose, end quote. That was, he didn't say anything. It was sort of like like double talk. So if you read between the lines and you dissect what he did say, he said that if you received two doses of his company's vaccine a year ago, your protection is now gone, even against hospitalization and severe disease. This is the CEO of Pfizer who said that. What he did say was that you'll need to have a third dose if you want protection. But he is not sure how long that protection is going to last. So maybe there's going to be a fourth dose or a fifth dose or a sixth dose. You know, there's no telling where this is going. Now, if you want to be um, really critical, um, you have to look at what Pfizer is doing. But before I do, let me just digress for a second. In Ontario, Canada... 76% of the hospitalized people and 56% of those in ICUs have been vaccinated. So when they say this is not a disease of the vaccinated, it's just a disease of the unvaccinated, that is not true. It's just not true. The European data is similar. In the U.S., we don't get to see the raw numbers because they've been washed by health authorities. They're, they provide, quote, adjusted rates. So Pfizer CEO Borla said that um, vaccine protection drops even quicker now that we've got Omicron than it did with the initial COVID-19 or the Delta variant. So one wonders, okay, the the vaccines initially were helpful because it stemmed the tide. But this ongoing regime or calling for more vaccines, um, is that really going to be the, the way to go? Um, if, and I've been saying this all along, if you don't think that this is all about politics and about money, you are... Um, dreaming. You are not paying attention. In this interview, Albert Borla talked up Paxlovid. Paxlovid is his company's new antiviral treatment. And we, and we just got through talking about one treatment that has been suppressed but is effective. But this treatment is being touted. It's a, it costs $530 per treatment. And according to Albert Borla, quote, this is where most of the efforts of most of the governments are moving, end quote. But right now, this drug is unavailable. Um, it's just not been produced as promised. Pfizer promised 120 million doses worldwide in 2022. As of now, only 180,000 are available. Now, at if you do the math, 
120 million doses at $530 per treatment calculates to be 62 billion with a B dollars from this drug alone and that's just starters um, so um, right now Pfizer is downplaying vaccines they're moving to therapeutics and they are quote slow walking the booster regime um, so um, if that's not enough to uh, evidence now the World Health Organization has jumped on the bandwagon abandoning the booster regime and they're pushing this um, uh, therapeutic um, uh, regime that we have been calling for as as um, as critical analysts of this problem for the last several years but it wasn't until these companies had products that they could profit from and we, God knows who else is profiting from them before we're allowed to now start talking about that. Um, the um, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about, about the boosters and about the vaccines. Um, interesting, the third issue that I've been accused of spreading misinformation about, which people are doing a 180 about is masks. I've said all along the cloth masks are are a joke, and they may and uh, they're not effective. And in fact, there's a Northeastern University study on uh, cloth masks that that uh, point out that um, they are effective in 30 to 90 percent of the cases of preventing COVID spread versus 99 percent with a proper fitting um, uh, K uh, or K, KN uh, uh, I'm having I'm having a senior moment but the, the thank you very much David a K a K95 or a KN95 mask um, even with a pr- poorly fitting K N95 or K95 mask it pro- it produces more protection than with the best fitting cloth mask and CNN's own medical analyst Dr. Leanna Wen professor of public health at George Washington University in a recent statement said quote cloth masks are little more than facial decorations there is no place for them in light of omicron so um the disinformation and misinformation that Dr. Barber and I are accused of spreading, um, you need to um, understand who is uh, accusing us of it. And um, and it turns out that the things that we're saying are not disinformation at all. And one might wonder if these issues are now being debunked, what else? That's all I'm going to say about COVID. I'm not going to talk about it again. I just wanted to defend myself and my my um, reputation against these um, these leftist um, jackals who are um, are are ignorant about um, anything that's truly scientific. 
we are getting ready to get into the break, and I've used a lot of the time that I had intended to uh, um, devote to this show, which is about race in healthcare. Another um, uh, issue that is um, now uh, a prime issue of the left woke mob. And is there any place for race in healthcare? Um, we're gonna let's take a break right now so that I can just use the rest of the show to uh, to get this point across because this is a very important topic and something that is very very um, dangerous a dangerous road that many people are are, um, are heading down so stay with us in the doctor's lounge um, and uh, we'll be back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. We are back in the Doctor's Lounge, or as I'm going to rename the show, The Medical Voice of America. Um, The... uh, Issue about race in healthcare. Uh, has anyone seen the commercials for this Oscar Health? There's a there. Are, it's it's available in 18 states around the country, and I am um, not sure that everyone who is listening to this podcast um, has had the opportunity to uh, see. This commercial. I encourage people who have not to go online. You can go on um, Google or better yet, uh, DuckDuckGo, and um, and you can uh, uh, type in um, Oscar Health racist commercial and and judge for yourself what you're seeing. And let me set this up for you so that you understand what this is about and why I'm talking about it. There's a uh, um a father and a son, Oscar and Oscar Jr., a black uh family. And the dad is in the driveway with his son who's skateboarding 
and he hurts himself. And he says, ouch. And then his dad says, you know what, quote, you know what really hurts? When you go to the doctor and they don't believe you're in pain because of the color of your skin. I'm tired of that crap. And I want a health insurer that will listen to people like me, end quote. When I saw this commercial, I literally came out of my skin. It is the most racist commercial that has ever been put on TV. And people should be outraged. They are outraged. Um, But everybody should be outraged by this. What they're implying, what they're saying, they're not just implying it. They are are, um, stating that doctors who look different than these individuals will not treat them appropriately because of the color of their skin. Now, this is insulting to every doctor, and it is disgusting that people can get away with it. This is not anything that even remotely is true. I don't recognize what they're talking about. They are pandering to people and jumping on a bandwagon that is has pulled out of the station that is putting race at the forefront of everything that we do, including health care. Um, this is not even primarily an insurance company as they claim to be on the commercials. They're brokers. They do have insurance products, but they're also brokers, and they put patients together with insurance companies, primarily on the exchanges. If you do a deep dive into this company, it's a very woke company. It is uh, run by the uh, by former Harvard Business um, School people. Um, one of the founders is Josh is a Jared Kushner's brother, Josh. Um, how they got funded they're, they they were privately held and then they um, <clears throat> they raised money and they uh, went IPO and raised more money um, they're running um, close to a billion dollars in the red um, there's a lot of Saudi money presumably behind this company they've got numerous complaints by the better uh, that were filed uh, to the Better Business Bureau um and uh and they believe their strategy to get healthy is going to to be to jump on this um racist bandwagon and appeal to people who feel that uh yeah they are mistreated because of the color of their skin i have never experienced complaints about um, a doctor um, uh, and how they uh, treated black uh, individuals um, not taking seriously their complaints, not taking seriously their pain. In fact, in my specialty, which is urology, um, one of the most common problems that we see in urology are kidney stones. And there are more white people 
who develop kidney stones than black people, and those people fake their pain more commonly than other people. Those people very often are drug seekers, and we have to go to great lengths to um, make sure that we don't just hand out narcotics to these individuals who are seeking drugs because of their, quote, pain from kidney stones. But to question a patient who, other than that who comes in, especially based on race and saying that we don't believe your pain because you're black, that is just absolutely ludicrous. It's disgusting. It is reprehensible. And it should not be tolerated, certainly by the stations that are putting this these commercials on TV. They should be ashamed of themselves, and and they should take those commercials off the air. Oscar Health is the epitome of quote wokeism. They celebrate their wokeism. They sent out a press release touting their transgender and non-binary clients that members are asked to provide information about when they onboard onto, onto Oscar Health. The, their wokeness is all over their website, including a letter from their CEO that states, quote, new hires are from underrepresented populations and we are steadily growing a community of black Latinx and South Asian employees growth in ethnic and gender diversity at the employee level is outpacing that of our leadership team while we are challenged to do better we are trending toward our goal baloney they have nobody on their leadership team who represents these ethnic minorities. They are pandering. They are using what seems to sell, and right now race is selling this divisiveness that has been created by the woke crowd, by the leftists, by the communists. They they are tearing our country apart, and they're trying to tear your health care apart by by appealing to the worst angels in you and trying to make people believe that their health care is inferior because of their race. Um, The woke crowd are the true racists because they only see the world through the prism of race. Whereas... Most other people, especially in healthcare, do not. They are, especially in healthcare, treating people equally. We're treating people the way that Martin Luther King wanted people treated by who they are as individuals, not what they look like. You know, I practice medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, when I, I moved here almost 30 years ago, I spoke to many people who grew up in Atlanta and recall Grady Hospital. Now, Grady Hospital is the historic indigent hospital in Atlanta. It's the teaching hospital, formerly the county hospital for Emory University. It's one of the best trauma centers in the southeast by virtue of all the trauma that they have seen in the inner city and throughout the county that gets shipped in there. 
the people that I have talked to who grew up in Atlanta in the 1950s and the 1960s remember that the hospital was actually called the Grady's. Now, why was it called the Grady's? Because there were two Grady's. There was a white Grady and there was a black Grady. And the two did not mix. They were segregated. They were divided into two facilities with different ERs and different wards and different ORs. And this was wrong on so many levels. And thankfully, we have moved so far away from this that it was in our rearview mirror. Now, we've got this woke, racist crowd that is trying to bring back the days of the Grady's. They're dragging us back to those days talking about, quote, preferential care to individuals of certain races only, which is opposite of what it has been in my lifetime. And this sort of, quote, reparations is appropriate in their warped mind and their way of looking at things and remaking, reshaping our society. In the latest disgustingly woke efforts, the FDA, Biden's FDA, has recommended that health care providers use race and ethnicity when determining if COVID-19 patients should be given the drug Sotrovimab, which is a monoclonal antibody treatment. And it's supposed to be used for patients with mild to moderate cases of COVID-19 who have other risk factors, um, obesity, pregnancy, over 65 years of age, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. In fact, government websites are teeming with posts about race and health care. And what they are now saying is that a risk factor for prioritization for the administration of this treatment for COVID patients should now be race. It's now one of those risk factors. So if you are black, regardless of anything else, you have priority over a white patient who does not have these other risk factors because you are at risk being black. Um, CDC.gov, quote, COVID-19 racial and ethnic health disparities, end quote. They talk about on this website, Biden's CDC website, that healthcare equity is important, where everyone has the opportunity to be as healthy as possible. And this should take into account social social determinants of health, neighborhood and physical environment, lack of access to care, insurance or language, 
occupation and job conditions, income and wealth, and education. All of those are risk factors that we need to correct for that would account for the differences in healthcare outcomes in certain racial and ethnic groups. What they fail to talk about are genetics. There are clearly differences in populations based on genetics, and that's based on decades and decades of scientific peer-reviewed studies. It makes no mention about behavior, about whether or not you're going to follow through and comply with recommendations or take care of yourself. You know, New York State has instituted similar policies for um, for whether or not people will get treated um, with uh, COVID treatments. Um, being non-white is now a risk factor, making anyone who falls into this group eligible for monoclonal antibodies, regardless of other risk factors. This wokeism is creeping into our medical specialty organizations and also into the medical literature. Um, it's supporting a narrative that America is a racist country, and that includes doctors and healthcare professionals. And if you don't subscribe to this way of thinking, then that makes you a racist. And that's, that is the cancer. That is what needs to be cut out. If we don't get this right, then we are doomed. Johns Hopkins Center for Communication has put out a piece about black maternal mortality. And they say that the mothers who are pregnant in childbirth die because of racism, not because of their race. The U.S. House Oversight and Reform Committee held a hearing on racism in black maternal health care. That's right. This was a congressional committee. And Congresswoman Cori Bush, an avowed socialist, a communist, a leftist, a wokist, gave an impassioned speech about her own traumatic pregnancy experiences as a black woman. She said, quote, every day black women die because the system denies our humanity, end quote. Johns Hopkins reports that black women are four times more likely to experience pregnancy-related death than white women. And they go on to state that this disparity is rooted in systems of oppression and injustice and persists even when controlling for education, for um, basal metabolic index, for socioeconomic status, and, and etc. And they base their assumptions about unconscious bias on incredibly flawed reports or information that nobody takes seriously. But I can tell you as a medical scientist that if you want to 
support your opinion, you can find pretty much any kind of garbage that it appears in print. And if it appears in print, it's got to be correct. Yes? Well, no, that's not... You can get pretty much anything into print, and it doesn't make it um, valid. It doesn't make it correct, and it certainly doesn't um, lend itself to using it as a, a jumping-off point to support um, completely um, uh, abhorrent positions. The Johns Hopkins uh, statement is about unconscious bias is based on, in part, on a 2016 survey of first and second year medical students. Medical students, not even doctors. These are these are basically children wet behind the ears, and they they report that nearly half of them held beliefs about biological differences in black patients. Um, and there are biological differences, to be honest with you, but the one that they focused on was about pain, and this is where that Oscar health issue was also um, uh, that where this came in. What these medical students believed is that black patients experienced less pain because of their skin being thicker, which is, you know, absolute garbage, it's nonsense. But here you have a medical institution, Johns Hopkins, that is using this ridiculously stupid survey. You have a medical um, uh, company, a, a, uh, a medical broker slash insurer, Oscar Health, that's using that to pander to people to sell their product. And it's just garbage. Another flawed study in the 2020 uh, that that was that came out in 2020 reported that black babies are more likely to live if cared for by black physicians because the repercussions on white doctors for black mortality is less if the white babies die. Well, I again garbage. It's not a medical study. This was a report that was conducted based on um, looking at um, at uh, data that was pulled out of of uh, registries done by the Harvard Business School, the George Mason Business School, the University of Minnesota School of Public Health, not by doctors, not by a medical institution, and you've got this body of absolute garbage that is out there that is the foundation for a completely racist position that these woke people are trying to shove down everybody's throat and agree to and to to get on the bandwagon with. And then the Biden CDC declared recently that racism is a public health threat. Um, There are no factors that are ever considered about racial disparity that would actually be the reason for differences in health care outcomes. 
the fact that in the black population, hypertension, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity are are much more prevalent than in the white population. They don't talk about the fact that this population fails to seek prenatal care, and when they do, compliance with recommendations, taking prenatal vitamins, good diet, is is very often not followed. Now, the woke crowd would say, well, that's because of their poverty, or that's because um, of their poor education. Well, there are poor, uneducated, white people that we see in Georgia all the time who don't have the same mortality, but they've got the same socioeconomic risk factors that the poor, uneducated black population has. And the differences are based on genetics. In urology, black men are more likely to develop and die from prostate cancer than white men. That's not because we treat black men differently. It's because they have a genetic predisposition to that cancer. They seek treatment later when it's too late to cure them. And there are differences that this woke crowd glosses over and they don't want you to look at. They don't want these questions being answered because it undermines their narrative. In the black population, low birth weight babies um, and premature babies um, are born more commonly than in the white population. And this whole line of reasoning reminds me of the WHO, World Health Organization, garbage data when they report on the quality of health care in the United States. And one of the factors that they look at is infant mortality. You know, the United States is one of the worst in the world in infant mortality, but it depends on what you measure. You know, in the United States, every death is an infant death. In Europe, if a death is um, in a baby before full term, they don't count it. So, of course, infant mortality in the U.S. is going to be higher. So people really, when they are talking about these issues, need to really understand that they have to get a full appreciation of what the the problems are and not accept the narrative of one special interest group, the woke crowd, because they very much are invested in undermining everything that we know in society, including health care, and, and instituting their own way of looking at things, which is going to be detrimental for everybody. You know, I'm going to close out. I want to tell you how far this has gone. Um, The academic institutions, forget about the fact that commercial interests, um, TV stations or high-tech or other um, companies have embraced this wokeism and this this um, uh, <coughs> push 
towards towards recognizing our quote societal racism. <coughs> Academic institutions are now embracing this ideology, including the 1619 Project, which basically says that if you're a white person, you're either a a racist. If you if you acknowledge it, and if you don't acknowledge it, then you just don't know you're a racist. Um, at Emory, in the Department of Anesthesia, there's a position that a doctor holds which is the head of their, quote, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And they have invited to their academic grand rounds, and you have to understand that academic institutions, academic departments, bring in people to educate the doctors, the, the medical students, the residents, the doctors on staff, about the things in their specialty that they need to know about that will make them better doctors. Provocative issues, you know, in healthcare, not in society. The Emory Department of Urology has invited next month to their grand rounds Nicole Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones is one of the architects of the 1619 Project. And she is discussing how history is taught and how the legacy of slavery plays a prominent role in our present-day democracy. This is medical grand rounds. This is the person who's going to be talking to anesthesiologists at Emory University next month about important issues that these anesthesiologists need to know about. Folks, this is the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the woke iceberg. This is what we see. If this cancer is not eradicated, it's not cut out, it will kill us. We will die a very painful death and nobody will will do well, especially when it comes to our health care. If we allow this to permeate into health care, then you can pretty much um, kiss your your ability to get the care that you need goodbye. That's all I've got to say today. Thank you for being with us in the doctor's lounge, the place where people used to talk about things that where doctors used to talk about issues, but no longer can because of fear about being canceled. Come back with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.